Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text today will be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Mark. You may be seated. <clears throat> we begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you today and we are asking you for forgiveness for our presumptuousness, thinking that we could ever be good enough to earn our place before you in heaven. And yet, Lord, you come to us in love, and by your grace, you give us the gift of eternal life. Lord, we pray that once again, as we hear this message, you would remind us of your love, and you would deliver your forgiveness into our ears and our hearts. And we pray now, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. This isn't weird at all. This is great. I'm going to feel like I'm going to get excited and start moving around like this. It's going to be fun with a microphone in both hands. Okay, a uh, number of years ago, I went to a conference uh, in St. Louis. I used to do this every fall. We would go to this thing called the Symposium at the seminary in St. Louis, and I would go with the, some good friends of mine, and it was one of those wonderful times of year where we stayed in this hotel across the, the street from the seminary, and we would stay up till the wee hours of the morning talking about everything work, politics, sports, theology, life, and we would just enjoy the laughter of friends. It was, I really miss it. It was one of the wonderful things I used to do every year. Well, I remember one year we were over there having a conversation, and we were joined uh, by a bunch of folks who were staying in the same hotel, kind of in their, in their early 20s. I think I can call them young people at this point in my life now. So these young people in their early 20s uh, came over to join us in the conversation. And I remember listening in on a conversation between my buddy Joel and, and this one young lady, and the two of them were together decrying all the problems in the world, talking about the evil of the government and the problems of these people and the weakness of those people and how this idea is ruining people and that group is perpetuating problems. And they were complaining about everything they see people doing in the world for the better part of an hour. Well, as the conversation started to kind of die, my, my buddy Joel uh, looked at her and said, okay, so this is really interesting, but let me ask you, with all the problems you see in the world right now, where do you have any hope? Where do you find your hope? And she responded, she kind of stopped for a second, and she thought, she said, you know, my hope is in people. Because I believe deep down, people are really good. So let me just repeat to you what happened there. For an hour, they talked about all the evils and the ills and the problems of people. And then when asked, where's our hope, she said, in people. Because deep down, people are good. Deep down, they're good. Which always makes me wonder, what about us up here in the shallow end where we're seeing is that nothing is really good. Everything seems to be anything but good. What does, therefore, it mean to even be good at all? And that's our question today. What does it mean to be good? How would you define good? What does a good person look like? And really, since we're having a sermon here today, the real question is, how does God judge goodness? Well, it seems to be a question that Jesus puts today to this rich young man who comes to him to try and find a place in eternal life, to try and inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus puts this question of goodness to him. We just heard the account read, but just to kind of bring us up to speed, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's making his way to the cross where he's going to die for the sins of the world. And as he's on the way, this young man runs up to him and, and literally bows before him and asks him, 
good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then to kind of prove it to the guy, Jesus starts listing all of the commandments that might, you know, expose sin all around us. He's like, clearly God is the only one that's good. I mean, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not uh, steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. You know those are the good things that people are to do. And we look around and we don't see anybody doing them. So clearly, God alone is the only one who is good. Jesus here is preaching the law to expose the sins of people all around him. But the guy mishears Jesus. And he thinks Jesus is offering him up a checklist of things you have to do to inherit eternal life. And so this man takes the law, which comes to condemn, and he turns it into a checklist, and he thinks he's actually pulling it off. I mean, this is great. The guy looks at Jesus and goes, hold on. Reaches in his pocket, pulls out his list. He's like, oh, dude, I've done all of that stuff. So I'm in, right? Like, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen. I've honored my parents. I'm in. And he thinks he's earned a place in eternal life. This is a very dangerous thing, to take the laws of God and to turn that into sort of what we might call a checklist religion. We live in a world of checklist religion. Christian, inside the church, outside of the church, we live in sort of this checklist morality world where we're always trying to make sure that our list looks better than their list over there. So sure, we'll go through the morals, things that we think we need to be keeping, but really what we're often doing is comparing ourselves with others and judging others and making ourselves look better. We think we're good because we're not as bad as those people over there. We think what it means to be good is to not do the bad stuff, at least not do the bad stuff like they are doing over there. This is why many of us watch the evening news. Yes, I know we watch the news to be informed, but we also like to watch the news to remind ourselves that we're not nearly as bad as that guy who said that thing 30 years ago. We're not nearly as bad as that lady who did this last week to that other person. Thank God I've never been caught for that. I mean, thank God I've never done that, right? And so we take out our list and we make ourselves look better than the other people over there. And we think we're actually pulling it off. We think we're actually pulling off righteousness because we compare ourselves to their sins and make ourselves look better. But what's interesting then is if you start to contrast that sort of mentality with this idea that deep down, people are really good. Because if you start to compare those things, what you start to find is you're thinking actually this way. People deep down are really good. I'm the one who's showing it. I'm the one who's proving it. And no one else seems to get it. So what they need is for someone who is good to come along and help them realize and discover their own goodness. And since my checklist looks pretty good, why don't I go over there and help them? I'll go over there and I'll show them all the wrong that's in their life. I'll expose all of their sins. I'll come in sort of as a very kind judge and jury and tell them everything that's wrong so that they might discover the goodness deep down in them. We become like like morality plumbers. Like there's something in their lives that's clogging things up, these sins in their lives that are clogging things up, and all they need to do is remove the clog, and then the good is just going to start flowing out. So we're going in as the plumber uh, to expose the problem, fix the problem, and teach them to have a list that looks like our list. 
you become the judge and the jury. Now, here's the problem. As it turns out, people don't like it when self-righteous people show up to fix them. And so they become more obstinate. They become more aggressive, which makes us more sarcastic, more cynical, more condescending, more judgmental. And sure, you might call it judgmental, but hey, their sins need judging. Because really, the only way to fix these problems is judgment and education. And I'm the one who can judge because I've accomplished it, and I'm the one who can show you the path. Judgment and education, that will finally get us to righteousness and ultimately, sure, to eternal life. Well, it would seem to me today that as we come to the gospel reading, Jesus sees things in quite the opposite way. So going back to our question, who is good but God alone, the young man seems to just straight up ignore the question and ignore the answer when Jesus says, God alone is good. And the guy begins to focus in on his own accomplishments and his own morality. All of this I have done since my youth. I've done this and I've avoided that and I don't look nearly as bad as those people over there. Deep down, everybody is really good, he's thinking. And who's really good? I am. Now, his naivety would be almost comical if, one, it weren't so tragic, and two, if it weren't so much like looking in a mirror for us. I mean, notice your response, at least this is what I realized as I was studying the text this week. Notice your response to this guy. We read him, and we're like, that knucklehead, who does he think he is? Going before Jesus, boasting of his works, what a moron. I would never do that. I've known I'm a sinner since I was a kid. I went to Lutheran church my whole life. I've always known I was a sinner. I know I'm a sinner way better than that guy knows he's a sinner. Thank God I'm not like him. So we become the judge and the jury of this guy in our own self-righteousness. We're such a sorry lot. <laughs> but now watch Jesus. Because as he's mentioned already, God alone is good. And as it turns out, Jesus is God in flesh. He alone is good. He alone is the one who has the right to judge and condemn this guy. He alone has the right to put this guy in his place. He alone has the right to look upon this man with a condescending eye. And notice instead what Jesus does. And if you want to see goodness, here it is. Jesus looks at this self-righteous, proud sinner and loves him. Mark writes, Jesus looked on the man and loved him. Loved him? A sinner like that? I mean, you know Jesus, you know why Jesus is so good? Because he knows this guy is not good deep down. He knows this guy is a joke of a moralist. He knows his work isn't all it's cracked up to be. He knows that he is trusting his performance rather than God. And what does Jesus do? He loves him. And he takes it a step further. He comes to this, this man comes to him and he gives this sad, self-righteous sinner the kingdom of God. The very thing he doesn't deserve. The very thing Christ has come to give. So he looks at him and he says, you know, you're lacking one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And, and I don't think Jesus was just trying to prove a point here. 
I don't think Jesus was looking at the guy and saying, now I'm going to really prove that you're unrighteous and you didn't even realize it. I think he means it. I think he's saying to the guy, all right, you've come to me as a sinner, just like the rest of these disciples. Now I'm going to call you just like I called them. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your idols, take them out of your hands, and come follow me, because we're on our way to Jerusalem where I'm going to die for the sins of the world, and I'm going to rise again, and it is going to bring to you the very kingdom you are looking for. So come on, buddy, let's go. Drop that stuff there, leave it behind, you don't need it, let's get going. You're so addicted to your morality and your money, so let it go. Because you hold so tightly to your morality, and you hold so tightly to your money, you're lacking the one thing you need, God. You have no faith, you have no love. All you have is morality and finances. So Jesus says, I'm going to take those things away from you in one fell swoop. Let's get rid of your morals, which aren't earning you anything. They're just making you look good to the world. And do something actually loving and give your money to the poor. And let's give to the poor the very idol that you're holding on to that's preventing you from trusting in me. Get rid of your morals and your money. And then let's get going. Repent and believe. And I think Jesus means it. I think Jesus wants this guy on his team. I think Jesus is literally calling the guy to join the apostles, to get in line and to follow him to Jerusalem, to be a part of the kingdom of God, the very thing the man came to look for. But of course, the man goes away sad because he loved his money and thought his morals were enough. He would have made a great American. He lacked what was truly good, faith in God and love for neighbor. And Jesus exposed it with his command and his promise. So the man leaves sad because he's discovered now that he, in fact, is not good. And so bothered by this is he now, is he by this, that now for the second time, he's ignored the good news that the only one who is good is God. And not only is he ignoring this news, he's ignoring the very God who is standing in front of him in the flesh and looking on him with love. He would rather cling to his good works and his money than he would trust the God he's hoping to impress. Jesus looks at him and loves him, and that's not enough for the guy. He wants a pat on the back and accolades. But Jesus isn't going to give that. So he leaves sad. He missed what truly, what true goodness is. You want to know what goodness is? It is a God who creates the world and calls it good and creates it as a pure gift for you and me. Goodness is a God who gives me all that I have out of pure grace and mercy without any merit or worthiness of my own. A good God is a God who comes and gives that to me and takes it away from me when I need him to take it away from me. Goodness is a God who, even after I have rebelled against him, rejected him, abused his gifts, hoarded them, worshipped them, and judged others for doing it worse than I have, still looks on me in love and invites me to be on his team. Boy, invites me to join his family. And this is precisely Christ has done for you. See, he's not disillusioned by all this nonsense of the goodness of humanity. He knows that deep down you and I are sinners, and yet he loves you because his love is greater than your sin. 
He is so good that instead of piling on you for all of the sin and the evil in your life, instead he takes all of that away from you and carries it on his back to the cross where he bleeds and dies for it. And then into your empty hands, he gives all the treasures of heaven, which he have, he's purchased for you with his own blood. He doesn't look at us sinners and think, you know, they just need a little bit more judgment and instruction and they'll fix the problem. He looks on you and I and says, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. And so I'm here to raise you to a new life. You are sinful, so I have come to forgive you. You're an idolater, so I've come to crush your idols and give you the gift of the one true God who loves you and forgives you for all of eternity. And you know what happens when we hear that from Christ? Do you know what happens when we realize this about ourselves, that deep down we're really not all that good, but deep down we are in need of a saving, and we have that Savior in Jesus Christ? It gets a lot harder to be judgmental towards other people. When we realize all that Jesus has given us out of his gracious hand, it becomes a lot harder to withhold love from others. For you see, you have a God in Jesus Christ who withholds no treasures of heaven from you. You have a Jesus who actually is good and looks on you with love forever. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, in your mercy, you have given Jesus Christ for us. Forgive us, Lord, for idolizing our money, Forgive us, Lord, for idolizing our morality. We beg you, Father, to rip these things out of our hands and replace them with Jesus, the author and finisher of our salvation. May our faith ever be found in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.